0: All right, so children ages four to eight, you are dismissed to Children's Church at this time. All right, and so, hey, look at this. I actually have my sermon notes in front of me, so I'm at least not so panicked here. All right, so we've been going through this series since the beginning of the new year about loving one another. So today we're going to bring that series to a close. I trust it's been encouraging to you um, and helpful to, to our church. So, today, uh, the, what the big idea is where you're supposed to go home and actually receive this into your life as the engrafted Word of God is to love one another through biblical communication. All right? Can you say that, uh, love one another through biblical communication with me? All right? Love one another through biblical communication. So we started out the series of uh, the command in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, that we are to love one another as Jesus loved us in the way that he loves us. So today, we want to look at three more of the one another commands. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, um, verses 25 through 32, uh, give you a lot of information on how to have biblical relationships with people in your church. The first piece of information the Apostle Paul starts with here is in verse 25. Wherefore put away lying, let every man speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Do you think a Christian is capable of telling a lie? yeah okay so where god starts with in loving one another through biblical communication he says don't lie to one another and so there's a, a negative part in this command uh, then the, obviously the positive part of the command is but speak the truth uh, with his neighbor and then there's a reason uh, for we're members one of another and so you have three parts Uh, of explanation to this particular command Um, I was at the pharmacy yesterday and uh, saw a little advertisement in the background of the counter about pseudothedrophine and I was like well I'm not sure what the second half of that word is but I knew what pseudo meant it meant false so it's probably a generic And and not the real thing and so that's the idea here put away lying Uh, the Greek word behind this is pseudos put away falsehoods you know what the nickname for Facebook is fake book all right because people are always trying to put their best pictures up Um, very rarely do you see people being transparent on social media but when we come into the context of body life and learning how to love one another, we're to put away lying as a result of our new life in Jesus. So God's church runs a different way than than the way we lived our life before we came to know Jesus. We put away the lying, um, Now, since you're in Ephesians 4, go back up to verses 22, 23, and 24. And I want you to look at some key words there. All right. So verse 22 says that you put off. You see that? And then verse 23 says, be renewed. And then verse 24 says, put on the new man. So put off the old man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's a new way of living now that you're a Christian. And then put on the new nature. So put off lying. Be renewed with the truth of the word of God. And put on the new man. Put on the new self in Christ Jesus. Start telling the truth. So people before they came to know Jesus in the ancient world and in our world today... Lying was a way of life. Now, this is where Christians must distinguish themselves from unbelievers. Back in verse 20, it says, you've not so learned Christ. You see, Jesus is the way, the life, and the truth. You see, unbelievers, those who are not trusting in Jesus, they're believing the lie. Their whole life is believing a lie. The devil has blinded them. They believe his lie. But when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we believe the truth. So Christians then have to put on that new nature and then respond appropriately to new behavior. Um, This is what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans. They go astray from the womb speaking lies. You realize that one of the earliest sins or vices that can be found in your children is that of lying. Okay. Trying to cover up lies. I remember one of my first thefts. <gasps> More than one? Yes, when I was a child, my parents had to break me of, uh, of that. I, I stole a pencil sharpener in kindergarten. And then we were over at a uh, family's home in the church on a Sunday night, and they were having a, um, a wedding reception for their uh, son and new daughter-in-law, and there was a bride and groom that was on top of the cake. Guess who tried to lift the bride and groom? All right. And so um, they came asking me, did I take it? Oh, of course not. Do you have it on you? Oh, of course not. I had hit it under the rug. In the middle of the room, there was a big bump. All right. So uh, eventually it came out that that's what I had done, but lying was a part of what I had done. And if you don't think your kids lie to you, you've forgotten what it was to be a kid. All right. So even from the womb, the scripture says, they go astray speaking lies. So that's a character trait that you have to work on in your children's lives. And sometimes that continues into our adult life. Now, praise the Lord, I came to know Christ as my Savior, and that part of my nature and character has changed, in case you were wondering,. <laughs> okay. But this is so true that before we were Christians, lying was just a way of life. And so as a Christian, uh, we have to put away lying. Okay? Now, John, uh, the Apostle John, in 1 John chapter two verses 20, through twenty-three um, says, "Whoever loveth and maketh a lie, that's who goes to hell. Liars will be in hell." So let me just ask you a simple question: um, How many times do you have to commit murder before you're a murderer? Once. Okay. How many times do you have to commit adultery before you're an adulterer? Once. How many times do you have to steal something before you're a thief? Once. How many times do you have to tell a lie before you're a liar? Do you see why unsaved people are on their way to hell? And by the grace of God, all of us were on our way to hell, except for Jesus, but God. And so lying is part of that Um, life that is controlled by the devil he's the father of lies Uh, he loves lies and people like to make up lies and so the christian's life is controlled by truth thy word is truth we call when the word of god controls our thinking we call that a biblical worldview or the mind of Christ. The word of God for you is truth. It is truth, period. But for you, it's what you put your mind in. It's what changes you and conforms you to Jesus Christ, who is the truth. So this is on the positive side. The direct opposite then is that in our conscience, then um, we desire to speak the truth and we would not tell a deliberate lie to get gain uh, to benefit ourselves so God's work in the world is based on truth he uses the Bible the public proclamation of truth what is the church it's the pillar in the ground of truth so let's be truthful and be an instrument of the Lord So, in the city of Ephesus, those believers had repudiated the lie and embraced the truth. They left idolatry and became believers in Jesus. And behind every idol is a lie. And so, if we're going to grow in grace as a Christian, we have to grow in this area of truthfulness It's part of our character, part of our integrity. Yes, Christians, we can lie quite deliberately. A slander is a lie. A statement deliberately intended to mislead another person is a lie. Especially when it's for your own advantage. But we lie also unintentionally just because we're not in the habit of rigorously cultivating the truth. So if you're not really working and developing this, then you might just notice yourself telling a few little white lies here and there. Now, what's the reason here, according to Ephesians 4.25? Why should we tell the truth? What does the last part of the verse say? Read it for me. We are members one of another. There's our phrase, okay? So, Here is a lie, hurts the whole. Even one person's lie hurts the whole church. So You don't lie to one another because it hurts the whole. Do you remember in the Old Testament the story of Achan? When God had said, when you go into Jericho don't take any of the accursed things but rather burn them and it all needs to be given to the Lord first but Achan what did he do he stole a Babylonianish garment must have been beautiful stole some gold and some silver I think and he he dug a hole underneath the floor of his tent and, and hid that and then they went to this little teeny tiny town that they thought we don't need but just a few to go get this town and they come away being defeated and then they're weeping what did we do wrong why was God's blessing not on us and then you know the story that Achan's sin was uncovered and his family was drawn and his household was drawn and then God slew Achan and all of those that were in his family because of his lie but it did damage to the whole of Israel and so a lie does damage to the body of Christ. Lies can break relationships. Lies can be used of the devil to split churches. Lies can be used of the devil to have people leave a church. So put away lying because it does damage to the body of Christ. It It's creating disunity in the church. And so we want unity because truth brings us together. It unifies us, puts us together. So a famous pastor who lived in the first century, his name was John Chrysostom. This is what he said uh, about the human body. Let not the eye lie to the foot, nor the foot lie to the eye if there is a deep pit and its mouth is covered with reeds shall present to the eye the appearance of solid ground will not the eye use the foot to ascertain whether it's hollow underneath or whether it is firm and it resists will the foot tell a lie and not the truth as it is and what again if the eye were to spy a serpent or a wild beast will it lie to the foot? You see how truth is so instinctive to the human body? I remember years ago we were hiking in Brioni's Regional Park. And it was uh, probably April or May. And Brioni's was known for having rattlesnakes. And uh, some of our harking, hiking uh, eventers together as a church, uh, we, we encountered some pretty large rattlesnakes but did you know it's not the large ones that necessarily kill you because they learn to control their dose of venom. It's the little ones who are inexperienced and don't know how much venom to inject, so they just give it all, and it's really potent. And so one day, we're, we're hiking down the trail, and uh, I think there must have been six or seven of us in the group, and five guys walked right over the top of a little coiled-up rattlesnake. Didn't even see it. Just... Happiest as as we could possibly be. The last two guys were like, Whoa! And then the rest of us turned around and were like, How did we miss that? We all could have been bitten. You know? It, it It was frightening. Well, here, their eyes saw it and didn't lie to them. So their whole body, as a result of the truth that the eyes was speaking, was out of the way. All right? It was instinctive. Truth needs to be that instinctive to us as believers. That we see a lie, we're jumping away from it to, to stay out of it. So, be honest with one another. Do you know, isn't that really the foundation for marriage? Okay, telling the truth to one another. That's where it starts. That's where trust begins. All right, so big idea. We love one another through biblical communication. Biblical communication is telling the truth. All right, now let's go over to Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. So you can look at this passage. Now, you know that when Paul writes a letter, he usually takes the first few chapters, and it's full of doctrine and teaching and instruction. But then you come to the second half of his letters, And it becomes all very practical where you live all that wonderful theology out. So this is where we come, all right, to teach one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. For those of you who have heard the word oikos recently in uh, either Sunday school this morning or in some uh, midweek Bible studies, uh, that means house, a place of dwelling. So the Bible is supposed to live within you. It's supposed to take up its residence. If I were to ask you, what's your house number? What's your street name? That's the place where you dwell. That's your residence. Does the Bible take up residence in your life, in your heart? You see, once again, the Bible, when speaking the truth, forms our worldview, the way that we think about things. We don't believe the lies that society has to offer. We rather embrace the truth of God's word, but we're letting it live in our heart. Read your Bibles. You want to do a practical thing? Let's do a Bible check today. How many of you brought your Bibles to church? Okay. The believers in Berea were more noble than the believers in Thessalonica because they searched the Scriptures to see if the things that were being taught were so. Do you know that pastors make mistakes when they preach? Yeah. So search the word of God. And uh, I don't mind if you fact check me. All right. Use your Bibles to do that. That's that's thinking Christianity. Just because you walk in these doors and listen to me preach does not give you a license just to click off your brains. You actually need to be an engaged listener. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All right, so the word of God is truth. Um, and it should live in us as if our life was a home, okay? And so the saint should give unrestricted liberty in his life richly is abundantly. Not only must we be yielded to letting the word of God be in us, but it must dwell in us richly or abundantly, okay? So, can you read the Bible too much? Not really, okay? So, if believers aren't right with one another, it's because we're not right with God. Now, here's the next part of this, all right? Teaching and admonishing one another, all right, so let's look at this phrase because that's where we're, we're getting this concept of, of teach one another. Um, so this is actually very interesting. It's a system. Okay? In Sunday school this morning, we, we took missionary Clay Gibbons graphic and all credit was given to GFA for that. And then we personalized it to Calvary. So you can go back and watch the replay later but there was a four-step system that was presented in that. Well, do you systematically read the Word of God? Do you systematically memorize the Word of God? Do you systematically listen to the Word of God? Uh, Do you have something in place in your life where the Word of God is just part of what you do? It's part of your routine. It's part of that. So now, the application here is that we're teaching one another the Bible. So when you come to a Bible-believing church, what we mean by Bible-believing is that the pastor uses the Bible. Because I could be reading to you from the American Psychological Journal, or I could be reading to you from some self-help article. Uh, I could be reading to you some motivational Sayings. Let me just share with you. Um, my daughter is graduating with her master's degree. Um, well, finishing up her class. Graduation is in August, but she calls it graduating because all the classwork is done. And um, so, at their, uh, I guess they, they call it wearing their jacket ceremony. I'm going to go there uh, in August and they'll put on the jacket. So, they've been talking about. Um, what they're going to say and so this is a nominally pseudo-Christian university it's Seventh-day Adventist which really isn't Christian at all but nonetheless they they have that and so they were asking each graduate to grab a bible verse and Abby has this friend who's a Muslim And she looked at this and she didn't realize that these sayings were from the Bible. She just thought it was inspirational. Oh, I'll do that one. And then Abby said to her later, now you do realize that you're going to be reading a Bible verse as a Muslim at graduation. Are you okay with that? And Abby has shared the gospel with her many times. And she's like, oh, I just thought it was an inspirational statement. And then it's like, Okay, but I think I can do that anyway. All right. Well, that, that's a big crisis for someone who's not a Christian. Um, and so the word of God has an, an impact on her, didn't it? Because it was inspirational to her. But now let's get beyond the fact that it's just inspirational. It's truth. And maybe that's what God will use to strike truth in her life and in her heart. Maybe she'll become a Christian uh, through the love of other Christians sharing the gospel with her. <laughs> She's noticed the difference between Abby's faith and the Seventh-day Adventist. Yeah, her, her comment was, well, Abby, you're so much different. These Seventh-day Adventists, they use quite colorful language. What she meant by that was she noticed that the professors, even in teaching, use language that's not appropriate for Christians. And so, here the, the word of God Needs to be taught to understand. so we're not just today teaching you inspirational statements. I mean, you can get those on social media, right? Uh, we're teaching you the truth of the Bible, so there needs to be systematic teaching. So let me just make some applications. Do you come to Sunday school? You come to Sunday night. Do you have a Bible reading time in your family? Do you have a personal Bible reading time in your own life? Boy, talk about some strange things that a teenage boy listens to when his family reads through the Bible. My dad would read through the Bible with us and we came upon the book of Leviticus one year. And boy, oh boy, man, there's some really strange stuff in there. You can just imagine the conversations that we're having at the dinner table. Why does God put that in the Bible? Well, my dad was faithful as a father just to read the scriptures. And then many times we we followed it up with conversations. But just systematically let the word of God be taught. Now, here's some ways that are mentioned within the verse. It says in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So when you come to church on a Sunday morning and we have our song service, do you sing? So you wouldn't believe this, but the kind of articles that pastors read is that men in particular struggle with singing. And so instead of singing, they sit there. Do you realize that giving your voice is an act of teaching to the people around you. I believe this. I won't be afraid to express it in song. So the different things that are there. and You know, music has a quality in and of itself that just goes into us and we can remember certain things, certain tunes. And then we can remember the words that go with them. For some of you that became a Christian in your adult years after you've grown up listening to the world's music, um, then you become a Christian, and you realize that some of those themes are not so appropriate for a Christian to meditate upon. And you hear that song, and then all of a sudden, you're in the grocery store, or you hear some kind of radio announcement and just a little clip, And then it's in your head, isn't it? And and you're singing it. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. What am I singing? My children have done that to my wife many times. Mom, what are you singing? Because she wasn't saved until she was 14. And um, ACDC was one of her favorite groups, right? Uh, Before she became a Christian. Now, we don't listen to that that music anymore, just in case you're wondering, all right? But there's a different way of living and so, memorize some of the hymns. Have a favorite hymn. Look at the teaching that that's in the song service, what the songs are teaching you. And so you know the other thing is uh, singing with grace in, in your hearts, okay um, Here's what one commentator said here. he says um, If the unsaved were to look at Christians singing in their song service, one would think that they had been baptized in lemon juice. Christianity is a happy faith as well as a holy faith. So that's why it's nice to see people singing with a smile on their face. And then the word admonish here is that of training by the word. And so I had mentioned, do you have that regular time? Um, But you know, Eli in the Old Testament as a priest, failed to apply the teaching of the word to his kids. And he lost his two sons. They died. Because he did not admonish his children to think biblically. So the teaching ministry of the church is then conducted in all wisdom. Okay? Um, and so Paul proclaims that here, God has divinely bestowed wisdom in the Bible. Matter of fact, we have five books in the Old Testament that the style of literature is called wisdom literature. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Wisdom literature. If you want to be a wise person, read one of those five books. And... Um, You know, the world might have the appearance of wisdom, but it's not grounded in truth. All right, so let's uh, look at our last one here today. The big idea is love one another through biblical communication. So you start on truth. The Bible is truth, so you teach it. And you let it guide how you think. All right, then the last one here is you pray for one another. Uh, James chapter 5, verse 16, if you want to take your Bibles, you can go there, but it says, confess your faults one to another, and do what? Pray for one another, uh, that you may be healed. All right, so there's a lot to unpack in this. Um, I'm glad that we take our prayer request cards, and that you can fill them out. If you're not aware Each week, Josiah types them up, puts them on a prayer list. These are on the, uh, the tiny table here on the way out the door. So you can pick this up and pray for one another throughout the week. Um, but pray for one another. So mutual honesty and openness and sharing of needs. So when you come to church and someone says, hey, how you doing? And you've got a heavy heart. You've got marriage troubles, home troubles, financial troubles. Maybe you're sick. And you're like, oh, I'm just so fine. Did you just tell a lie? Okay. Let the word of God admonish you. There's nothing wrong with admitting when you're weak. Or even if you're trapped in a sin. And need help getting out of it. You know, too many times as Christians, when someone would be brave enough to be transparent and vulnerable and say, I'm trapped in a sin, I need help. Help me get out of this. We're the kind of people that take that information and say, Did you know? Pray for one another. Now, um, so we have a spiritual struggle. And we have to uphold one another in that spiritual struggle. Um, Now, the word here, confessing. uh, Confess your faults one to another. This is the, the same word that we find in 1 John 1, 9. Uh, it's a compound Greek word, homo legeo, to speak the same thing. In 1 John 1, 9, we're, we're speaking the same thing that God says about our sin. In other words, we take God's side against ourself. We tell on ourselves, and we agree with God that we've got a sin in our life. So the location of confessing is very interesting. James says that you confess your faults one to another. Now, there's a false religious group out there, that practices confession where you'll go see a special man behind a partitioned booth or a thin curtain and you'll confess all your sins and you'll receive some kind of action that you can do. Well, that's not what this verse is teaching. Okay? It's not using your pastor that way either. Okay? This is mutual confession amongst one another. Where you just ask for help, that's scary. That's intimidating. That's frightening. horrifying. That's intimate. So maybe this will help you then the limitation of confession, right? Uh, In his commentary on the book of James, uh, Warren Wiersbe says this, we must never confess sin beyond the circle of that sin's influence. Private sin requires private confession. Public sin requires public confession. It's wrong for Christians to hang their dirty wash in the public for such confessing might do more harm than the original sin. All right, so in other words, the circle of offense is the circle of confession but now if you've got something going on in your life where you need help find a trusted sister or brother and go get help that's what this verse is teaching you so that they can pray for you they can counsel hold you accountable Previous ministry, we had an addiction recovery program. And so if they weren't using, then we said they're abusing. So we were quite transparent with one another, asking the hard questions. Did you use this week, whatever substance you are? Did you look at porn this week? Were you angry this week? Were you drunk this week? Did you just lie to me? Okay. And so they were in bondage and they needed help. So they voluntarily came and said help. And so many of them found true lasting freedom in Jesus. And they were set free. Now some said, Now I'm going to let that book tell me how to think. And so it wasn't for them. Because they didn't want God to change them through the word. But they were confessing their sins to one another. But generally speaking, you just don't stand up and start announcing all of your sins. Let me tell you a couple of things. Um, I was an assistant pastor in Sonora, California for about two years. And my very first Sunday... I pulled up in the parking lot and uh, we got out of the car and we had our little baby uh, with us, Tim, and the first person to greet me was a young husband. And the first thing he says to me was, well, that's my wife over there and you should know that we fornicated before we were married. I'm like, what? Why did you share that with me? I didn't need to know that about you. And I just looked at him and I said, "Brother, I said thank you for sharing that with me, but I have a question to ask you." Said, so "Did you ask God to forgive you of that sin?" Yes, I did, a long time ago. Said, so "Do you think God forgave you of that sin?" Yes, He did, a long time ago. Then you don't need to tell anyone else ever again. Okay, and so that's what we mean by the level of confession. Just the level of sin, okay? That was between them and God, unless, and you know, something else came out of it, like a pregnancy or something. But confess it to God and get right. And if it was a continuous problem, then get help. But maybe they weren't even saved at the time. So you, you understand what I'm saying. Uh, what a, a first introduction to the church, you know? Uh, the second guy who met me, that was weird, too. He said, what's a pastor like you driving such a nice car like that? It was a 1991 Plymouth Acclaim. That was a ritzy car, I'm sure, right? And uh, so that was, that was an interesting, so I was kind of like, what did I just walk into? <laughs> so now that's the limitation of confession. We confess our sins to the Lord, first of all. But then if you have sinned against somebody and it's done harm and, and damaged them, well, then you need to go and ask them for forgiveness and confess it to them. You know, as a father, I've had to confess my sin to my children many a time when I disciplined in the flesh instead of in the spirit. And you know what? They appreciate that. And they needed to hear confession. Now, In closing, let's look at verse 17. For the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? It availeth much. There's power in prayer. So in the book of James, prayer has been a strong emphasis. So he mentions it again towards the end of his letter. Do we doubt the assertion that James has made? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And who's his example? An Old Testament prophet? What does it say about him? He was a man that was subject to our like passions. And you think to yourselves, oh, I could never pray like pastor. I could never pray like the evangelist. I could never pray like the deacon or the Sunday school teacher. You don't need to. And this is what's so intimidating to young Christians. They don't feel like they measure up when they pray in a group. Praying in a group is scary, intimidating. What if I say something wrong? Well, let me just put everybody on the same level here. Okay. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. For we know not what we ought to pray for or how we should pray for it. But the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. God knows the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit knows the mind of God. And he takes our prayers, which are inarticulate, and he makes them match up together. All right? So we have a tendency to dismiss the example of Elijah and say, Well, I'm just not going to pray because I can't pray like that. Elijah was just a human. You know what prayer is? It's just asking God to go to work and show his power. That's what it is. And do you believe that prayer can change things? Absolutely. Absolutely. In the text, it's talking about physical illness, people can be healed. Now, once again, let's be careful. Not go around being a Pentecostal or charismatic saying, I've got the gift of healing, I'm gonna lay hands on you, and boof, and you're healed. Right? That's not what that's saying. Any divine healing is a sovereign act of God, not some power of a man. God can still heal, can He not? I remember Shirley Weach was a lady in our church um, when I was growing up as a kid in Illinois. She went to the doctor and the doctor said, you have cancer in every organ of your body, prepare to die. Write your last will and testament, make your peace. And so she just came to the church and she said, church, I want you to pray for me. Church started a 24-hour prayer chain seven days a week and she by faith began taking treatments. Folks, this was back in the late 70s, early 80s. It wasn't the technology that there is today. And so she just said, God, your will be done, but church, pray for me. Do you realize that when she went back to the doctor about the third month after treatments, they found no cancer in her body anywhere? Anywhere. She lived for another 20 years. Folks, that was a miracle. And that's the effectual, fervent prayer of righteous people working in real life. So when we take prayer requests, pray for so and so, folks God hears those prayers he answers them, prayer is real and fervent, now let me just encourage you some of you, and here's where you can say a quick prayer for me Lord help pastor say it right alright, so let me encourage you, some of you are new to our church and you don't know but we have a prayer time on Wednesday night and we have a prayer time Sunday before Sunday school. Just to use a little bit of humor to drive home a point. A couple years ago, if you asked Siri what's zero divided by zero, it would tell you, you know, pretend that you're a cookie monster and you have no cookies, you know, and you divide zero cookies, Divided, you know, you have, aren't you sad that you have zero friends? Do you know how many people show up at our corporate prayer meeting? Kind of discouraging. So, We're still optimistic. So beginning in March, we're going to do a dinner on, uh, I think it's every other Wednesday night, and I'll communicate to you through email. But at 5.15, we'll have a meal here at the church, come for the fellowship, and we'll close with a word of prayer. Is it the food that's missing? I don't know. But we want to try something. You see, folks... You don't have the power of God if you don't pray. No way to change. No way to see people saved. This is spiritual ministry. Spiritual ministry cannot be done in in the flesh. And not praying is fleshly. Samuel said to Israel, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. So we're, we're a church here today. So before Sunday school, it was my wife and I and Josiah. That's typical. Wednesday night, it was just me. couple of other wednesday nights when i was doing bible study at my house mr Maddish was here it was just him and i came and met with him the next week and he said wow pastor this is discouraging i said yeah it is so we're going to keep working the bible tells us to keep moving forward keep chopping forward so we're not going to quit we don't think that you don't want to pray We just have to figure out how to get everybody together so we can pray. And um, so let's just keep working on that. Think about that. And uh, we can make that change as a ministry. So, pray for one another. If you're new, join us in those prayer times. And so we'll, we'll begin making that change in March, and we'll communicate that to you. But confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Teach one another. Be honest with one another. You're here today and you're believing the lie of the devil. Believe the truth today. Jesus is the truth. Repent and put your trust in Jesus. You shall know the truth.